Blog Talk Radio. Senegal, and of course, uh, as I mentioned before, 
made by uh, master craftsmen in terms of the quality of the drums. So uh, our last show, we ended, uh, we, were, we, we finished uh, reviewing the book written by Dr. Naeem Akbar, uh, Natural Psychology and Human Transformation. And uh, indeed, it was a very, very informative book, um, very inspiring and revealing in terms of the dichotomy of uh, the the uh, of Western psychology as opposed to Eastern psychology or natural psychology, uh, which has a spiritual element that's uh, included. And it's a very important component. Uh, so, my wife and I we've had the pleasure of reviewing uh, the show and the book and and really having a dialogue between ourselves in terms of how important it is to relate to each other from a spiritual perspective foremost, as opposed to uh, coming from a material uh, uh, perspective of, of, moder of modernity. And uh, modernity is a, an aspect that has uh, been a very prevalent part of those of us who uh, are influenced, grew up and raised in the Western Hemisphere. We tend to be attached to material things and think that that is the essence of, of happiness and what really is required to hold uh, a marriage or a significant relationship together, even a, a relationship with yourself in terms of you being balanced, that you, we tend to uh, put uh, a lot of uh, weight on material possession and, and how we appear to be in terms of our physique, uh, if we're beautiful or handsome and muscular, uh, do we make a lot of money? Do we have a degree? Do we have a car, a home, uh, children, and a big family, and so forth and so on, not realizing that the most important thing is to be in tune with the Most High, to have a relationship uh, with the Most High, you know, and that uh, regardless of what your religious orientation may be, that indeed one who has a clarity and a strong relation with, relationship with the Most High is the one who is most, most healthy and most wealthy with spirit, healthy with, uh, with a healthy mind, with a healthy body. So, um, which leads me to talk about this evening, this evening's show, which will be um, uh, reviewing uh, a book written by uh, a brother uh, who was born in, in the, the ghetto of Cleveland and, and, and just was determined to make something of his life. Uh, he uh, is known as Swami Krishnapad. Uh, he was born with the name of uh, John Flavor in, uh, in Cleveland and came from very humble beginnings. Uh, Swami Krishnapad, he's passed on uh, back in the year of 2005. Uh, he was born in, I think, that was the year of, uh, of, of 1950. And um, he, he was a spiritual teacher, author, a Princeton graduate, uh, director of the Institute of Applied Spiritual Technology in Washington, D.C., and he is a specialist, uh, was a specialist in human relations and conflict resolution, 
who was, uh, has had the opportunity during his life to, uh, to serve as an international consultant to diplomats, uh, including Nelson Mandela and the president of Zambia, uh, heads of state such as uh, the president, uh, and also the general public. For more than 20 years he did this. And as a powerful speaker and an inspiring role model, he, he toured the world uh, offering the message of love, service, and community consciousness to people at all nationalities, races, and creeds, and, and for more works of life. Uh, with the book that he, he created, The Spiritual Warrior Two: Transforming Lust into Love, it's basically a book to, to savor and treasure, uh, a book that really needs to be read and reread because of the spiritual potency and, and the priceless value for everyday living. Uh, you know, some books give us the aha moments and, or two and, and, and one interesting point to, you know, to apply to our lives, but uh, this may be enough to justify the price of the book and the time spent reading it. But here, how about every paragraph, sometimes every line? You know, he's currently, uh, you know, one who's really reviewed by many people throughout the world in terms of not only uh, uh, how to conduct their personal life, but he's also uh, uh, has attracted uh, diplomats and politicians and world leaders throughout the world who have uh, uh, deferred to uh, one of his books, which we're, we're about to review, called Spiritual Warrior Two: Transforming Lust into Love. So I, I do begin, uh, I will take a new uh, short break, but I will begin by reviewing what he has to say in, in Chapter 1. Uh, and he talks about sex and the leadership crises, and all of us, I think, can relate to that. We have in our midst within the political community uh, of recent and then of not too distant uh, past where politicians have been uh, found to be uh, short in the area of uh, being uh, uh, loyal to their wives, even some to their husbands, uh, and, and really being able to, not being able to maintain a, uh, a life that really exemplifies how one should really be a leader, a true leader of the community, uh, from a spiritual perspective, and then, of course, from just an ethical perspective. So... Uh, I'm just uh, excited about sharing this knowledge, sharing this information with you, so that indeed this can be a conversation that is had within our homes, within our communities, uh, within our schools, and, and indeed within the business community, and of course, last but not least, within the political arena. So please stay tuned, and I'll be back with you shortly.
this. This is a very interesting book. It's about uh, about nine chapters, and I'm going to be covering all nine chapters, not uh, verbatim, uh, but just touching upon those succinct areas that I think would be of mutual interest, and uh, and hopefully, you know, the, those who would like to call in, please feel free. Uh, and of course, I welcome everyone. I see that we have a guest in the chat room, and I thank you for joining us. And if anyone wishes to share their thoughts by calling in, uh, the number is 347-215-7331. And uh, please be sure to push the number one button, and that will indicate to me that you wish to uh, share your thoughts. So um, let's begin by uh, just touching with upon the forward of the book. And um, he talks about the spiritual warrior uh, transforming lust into love is a book to savor and treasure. And primarily he thinks that it needs to be read and, and, and reread because of its spiritual potency and priceless value for everyday living. Um, and it is said by the person who reviewed the book that he received so many books in the mail to read, but he's sorry to say that the vast majority of them have little or no substance in simply being a combination of words strung together to entertain the mind and perhaps the intelligence. And you can imagine how happy and excited he says he was when he began to read Spiritual Warrior and found himself saying, yes, yes, this is what I need, this is what I chose to learn and apply. And uh, basically the, the reviewer was saying that Krishna Prama, Krishna part is unique and easy to understand presentation of the ancient eternal teachings, including in the book. Although he's, he, we never met Krishna Part, myself included, uh, he goes on to state, and may I just go over some of the chapters. Chapter 1 will be dealing with sex and leadership crisis, and in Chapter 2 we'll be covering what is love. In chapter 3 we were going, we'll be covering what is lust, and 4, the power of sense gratification, in Chapter 5, Sensuality in Everyday's Life. Chapter 6, Love Between Man and Woman. And Chapter 7, Loving Our Neighbors. 8, The Practice of Compassion. And then 9, The Love of God. And he's going to be reviewing. He, 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 he did review, rather, because he's no longer with us. He's in a, a, another uh, mode right now in terms of his transition. But he did review uh, the various religious practices and how all of these apply uh, have been embraced by those different uh, religious persuasions. So uh, this is something that I think is essential because, as my wife had stated in her show earlier, and we both are interfaith ministers, that it is not about uh, one's religion versus the others, uh, one's level of spirituality versus another's, but it's about understanding that we are all interdependent and that we all have uh, the same energy, as it were. You know, I really loved when my wife illustrated the fact that if you just take a, uh, a circuit in the wall, well, a lighting fixture, and it says um, that you should not uh, apply a bulb to the fixture that's beyond 65 watts, uh, whether it be 25 watts. And most of us know that you have to go by those instructions, especially when you're dealing with electricity. And, of course, we understand also from school, as we learned, that our body has a certain amount of 
electricity flowing through it. This is a universal life force. In order for anything to exist, it has to have some substance of energy, whether it be visible uh, or from an atomic or subatomic level, you know, when you get into quantum mechanics or any type of uh, state-of-the-art understanding, scientific understanding of energy, we understand that there are certain rules that apply universally. So if you place a bulb that is not uh, within the uh, guidelines of the wattage, of course what happens? You get a short circuit, uh, and uh, you might have a fire. You might, uh, the wires become overheated and so forth. The same thing applies. There are some of us who have to go to a certain ritual, a certain amount of training in order to be able to digest certain information so that our consciousness, our um, intellect, our uh, spiritual uh, awareness, our spiritual IQ, as it were, is not short-circuited. And as many of us, as you know, we've come in, into the presence of people who are short-circuited. <laughs> You know, uh, they come to us with a certain level of arrogance, a certain uh, lack of compassion for uh, their fellow men uh, and women in their lives, and they consider themselves to be spiritual. They consider themselves to be religious, at least. And, of course, we know that there is a difference from being religious as opposed to having a spiritual, universal orientation. And that's the book, Yes, Indeed, which attracted me. Uh, what is the title of Transforming Lust into Love? Because that word lust doesn't always have to apply to sex, to sexuality. You know, lust can apply to uh, the essence of those who are lustful for power and will do anything to gain or get that power, you know, by lying, cheating, and stealing, you know, and misleading and, and, again, that's where the political piece came into play, where uh, Swami Krishnapat was called upon uh, international world leaders to lecture, to speak upon this subject. He was called to the United Nations many times to speak upon this. So uh, I'm just excited to be able to share the book uh, with you, the listening audience, and to see, indeed, if we can just absorb as much as possible from this rich information. Hi, hon. How are you? I'm wonderful. How Great. Are you? It's good to see you. My wife just walked into the the uh, studio uh, area of our home, and I'm really excited about having her with me because when I read books like this, and she doesn't even have to say anything, just be in the presence, I know that it makes a big difference not only to her but to us as a team as we take in this knowledge. So. Uh, the the person who reviewed this uh, Terry Cold Whitaker, she uh, states that it was a pleasure that I offer my reaction to Swami Krishnapar's unique, easy to understand presentation of the ancient, eternal teachings included in this book. Although I have never met Swami Krishnapar personally, an occasion I look on occasion I look forward to, and in a sense. I've already met him through his previous books and, and audio tape one of his lectures. His courage to speak the deepest truths and the wealth of knowledge have inspired me greatly. And as a writer, minister, and speaker myself, I am familiar with the tendency to say what people, what pleases people 
so that they will continue to listen and attend classes. However, Krishnapad, Swami Krishnapad cuts right to the core of our problems and offers real, eternal solutions that transcend the mundane beliefs and rhetoric of the average religious leader or politician. The book's combination of, pri- of primarily but not exclusively Christian, Muslim, and Vedic teachings is for serious students who generally desire to know who they are, how to live in harmony with God's laws, and how to love God and achieve success as a human being. The lessons the author shares so generously are the difficult ones, not how to catch a man, how to keep your woman, or even how to use God and his universe to get what you want. All these benefits come naturally when you love, but not when you use, but when you love. And those of any religion who care about themselves and truly desire to fulfill their mission as human beings will devour the knowledge that jumps off every page of spiritual war, too. Some books give us a aha moment or two, or one interesting point to apply, which may be enough to justify the price of the book and the time spent reading it. But here, how about every paragraph and sometimes every line? I'm currently on my second and even third reading of certain chapters of this divinely inspired offering. Everyone needs a copy of this book. And I may add to those who are listening that uh, on my site, uh, my website, drumsofchange.com, I have a bookstore, um, and you can purchase this book from my bookstore. So I just wanted to share that with you. And uh, some of the books on my site are uh, 50% discounted, some even 80 to 90%. Uh, we even have used books that you can purchase if one really is not concerned with the uh, pristine condition of the book but just wants to get the information contained. So I just wanted to share that with you. So uh, uh, Terry Cole goes on to state that schools need to include this book in their psychology classes for it goes beyond the mundane psychology of analyzing illness and aims directly at the heart and core of every issue, which is love of God. Without God, no system will ever bring a utopia because we cannot live a heavenly life by keeping the owner and the proprietor, God, on the outside while we are on the inside living off his kingdom. With God in the center, all is possible and life is blissful, loving, and prosperous. And at some point in our lives, each of us must wake up and face the challenge of being who we really are, who we truly are, and that is of bringing forth and expressing this true self from moment to moment. And the only way we can solve the problems of life, which we ultimately can do, is to have eternal knowledge and truth and to apply this knowledge under any and all circumstances. And whatever we have in life is what we have earned. If you desire love, bliss, and liberation, she suggests that you start here with this book. So, yes, indeed. Uh, I'm going to start uh, with this. And uh, the author's preface, which I think is really essential, I normally don't uh, get into this area, but uh, he states, and this is Swami uh, Krishnapad, states that famine, disease, terrorism, war, murder, 
suicides, storms, floods, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, toxic rivers, poison flood, food, dying trees. This planet is presenting us with numerous symptoms of serious imbalance. Yet despite the widespread physical suffering throughout the world today, ultimately difficulties confronting us are not material but spiritual. And these problems reflect our failure to fulfill our deepest longings to love and be loved. And any solution will require more than just a sophisticated technological effort. We may have made great scientific progress, but as a culture, we still have little understanding of love and even less appreciation for the spiritual dimensions of life. The strife and destruction that surround us point to an urgent need to remedy this situation. We must learn to, how to love ourselves and each other and how to love our home planet and the other living beings who reside here with us. The resolute uh, material orientation of industrial culture has led us down a blind alley. Consumer society has encouraged us to indulge our desire to the utmost and to seek their fundament, the fundamental uh, element of at every opportunity. Instead of developing self-knowledge and self-mastery, we have learned to look outside ourselves in a never-ending quest for gratification and mistakenly believing that such pursuit can ensure our happiness. But yet, however, we are discovering that those who have everything can still be profoundly miserable and lead desperate, empty lives, and something has gone seriously wrong. And I think of uh, even today as we look at at TV news coverages of the uh, Republicans going through their primary debates and so forth and uh, uh, flexing themselves or preparing themselves to challenge President Obama and the Democratic uh, community and uh, the presiding administration in the White House, that they're not dealing with genuine concern, as it were, about the people's needs. They're using that as a backdrop uh, to gain power for their particular party, as it were. And one of the reasons why I was encouraged with Obama's candidacy was that he wanted to change the politics, change the nature of the culture within uh, the community of the political structure here in the United States, in Washington. And, of course, he had a wide awakening that uh, easier said than done. But I'm still optimistic. I'm still encouraged. I know that it takes a thought to start anything. Uh, and my wife and her show this morning, and we always talk about this from time to time, how indeed thoughts create things, and that the law of attraction uh, starts with what you think inside, what you contemplate, and then, of course, what action you take from there, uh, and then uh, and from those actions there are results. So we're still in a very uh, infancy stage in terms of understanding these dynamics on a collective basis. And I think that we have an opportunity. I know myself as an elder, uh, as a, as a uh, minister, um, as one who is actually trying my best, and it's sometimes I believe I'm doing it, to serve my family, to serve my community, to serve uh, the people, to serve humanity with as much truth as I know, 
and as much love as I'm able to give so that indeed we can truly have a, uh, a, a political structure, a community structure that is geared towards the well-being of humanity and the well-being of the planet Earth uh, and all of its inhabitants. So uh, this is one of the books that uh, allows us to contemplate that and to recognize that there are certain principles that if we incorporate that into our lives, that we will be successful in this endeavor. So as I um, continue with the, uh, the forward, uh, the author's preface, as it were, he states that the problem is that we have dedicated ourselves to satisfying our lusts rather than to expressing our love. And although all of us are inherently loving beings, we have forgotten our true nature and sacrifice our birthright for a seductive substitute that ultimately brings us pain rather than joy. And because our collective goal has become to gratify our physical senses above all else, above all else we have developed a self-centered culture that condones competition, exploitation, and whatever it takes to get us what we want. I'd like to just stop at this point. Uh, as I read this and share this program with you, we are about to uh, have an event that's going to take place. Uh, one of my uh, colleagues, Milton Alamadi, who's the uh, publisher of Black Star News, uh, is a friend of mine on Facebook. And he stated that uh, he read a, a blurb that someone stated that uh, the, uh, 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 the Super Bowl was one of the most widely uh, attended uh, should I say, witness sporting event uh, in the world. I think something like uh, uh, 50 million. Uh, he stated that, oh, no, uh, soccer uh, worldwide, uh, the, the, so the soccer uh, championship comparable to the Super Bowl has over um, 150 million people attending. And then there was an, an, another person, a Facebook friend, who said, no, that uh, half of the world actually witnesses the, the uh, soccer game, and, um, oh, should I say, the, the, the championships of, of uh, soccer in that community, uh, which actually is the original football, what was originally called football. Uh, so a half a million, I believe there's about seven billion within our population of the world. So that would mean that would constitute, constitute uh, 3.5 billion people looking at a game called soccer. Now, I know that in that game, there is a lot of violence. Uh, during the game, mostly, there is not violence. There's just the kicking of the ball with the feet and uh, not touching with your hands and, of course, trying to get the ball into a goal, and then you have the goalie and so forth who tries to protect the goal from being uh, trans, uh, 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 being um, uh, the ball going through and past him, so that a, a point is scored. And of course, the points are very low. Sometimes a game is won by uh, one or two points, and under five points between each team. However, occasionally there is a fight, and we're not talking about just a, uh, a, a casual fight. We're talking about a brawl, and occasionally the spectators will fight. And I'm sad to say that it is not uncommon for people to be killed in some of these countries 
because the sport is taken in such a serious fashion that people actually become, uh, as the word implies, the fans become fanatical. And they become, they start acting inhuman, in, in inhuman uh, uh, ways towards one another. So they're acting in a state of lust, that lust being an uncontrollable urge to win the game or to be a witness to the game being won by the team in which they endorse, in which they actually love, quote-unquote. But to exercise this particular love and this displace uh, lust, they will do anything to prove their point and to support their team, even if, if it takes to kill someone. Now I go here to the United States in our game called football. And within the next half an hour, if not already, it's about to start. And I heard, read rather, in a, in a paper a couple of weeks ago that um, there was a man, I think, in the, pet, in the Patriots team who had a, a concussion. And it was stated that the people in the uh, team of the Giants, uh, those who were in the uh, offensive uh, uh, or the defense, if I could get which side of the of the of the uh, team, uh, but they stated that they wanted to point out this particular football player and attack him and get him out of the game. And the way of them doing that would be to pounce upon him and tackle him to the point that indeed, hopefully, he could have a reoccurrence of a concussion. And we all know that there are people who have died from concussions. If not immediately, at least in a very short term, if not long term, the ramifications of having your brain uh, jostled in such a violent way within your skull can uh, bring on blood clots and all kinds of other uh, devastating uh, deficits in terms of the health of your body. So I say all that to say that there are many of us who embrace various games, various sports, various endeavors, for that matter, without incorporating a level of true love for those who are participating, those who are spectating, those who uh, are, are reaping the benefits, supposedly, of getting a scholarship and so forth. I mean, there's this, this gross contradiction. And we understand that life can be about contradictions. But it comes to a time, though, where we stop to have a, a moment of thought and contemplation where we stop playing certain serious games, games that have serious consequences, and come to terms that perhaps maybe we've gone a little bit too far and that we have to rethink what we endorse, what we embrace. And if we do endorse certain things which can be detrimental, that we do our utmost to make it so that it is something that's not going to be a, a death-threatening situation where there's a sport where people will die. We have to take precaution. We cannot make that be an acceptable element of the endeavor, which is called sporting endeavor, a sporting uh, uh, exchange of, of, of our skills and so forth. So I just wanted to just share that particular thought that I had that, uh, regarding uh, what uh, Swami uh, Krishna Park was sharing in his his uh, preface. Uh, he states that our egocentric behavior is driven by lust and appears in countless forms. For example, he states, we may engage in sexual activity without love, 
dominate others in order to feel powerful, destroy rainforests to create more profitable grazing land, manipulate, manipulate financial markets for personal gain, lie and cheat to gain political prominence, take drugs to get high, or ignore our own children in favor of making more money. Uh, this piece about manipulating uh, financial markets for personal gain, we just witnessed that within the, net, within the last uh, five to seven years with the uh, recession that we're recovering from, hopefully, where people were given mortgages when they knew, the banks knew that they couldn't afford the mortgages, where we had people uh, making inside trades and so forth. So all this, again, applies to lust. He states that in his Spiritual Warrior II, Transforming Lust into Love is an attempt to examine the topics of lust and love and debt. The book's premise is that we must gain a spiritual understanding of lust and love if we are to live healthier, more productive, and more fulfilled lives. And in what follows, we will explore the meaning and manifestations and dangers of lust and suggest ways to overcome its power and describe in detail the progressive levels of love that culminate in love of and service to God. Uh, the first chapter describes the world's crisis in leadership, a situation that has a profound impact on all of us. And the examples of our leaders filter down into the rest of society and set the tone for how we live, how much more than ever we have a desperate need for leaders who have learned to conquer their lusts and fulfill their responsibilities with love. All of us are leaders in one capacity or another, and we can all benefit from conquering our lusts and becoming more loving in every aspect of our lives. And he states that the rest of this book shows how to accomplish this. Chapters 2 and 3 define lust and love in more detail and provide a basic understanding of how they operate. And the fourth chapter looks at sense gratification and its various ramifications, while Chapter 5 specifically discusses the role of sexuality in our lives. Uh, chapter 6 is dedicated to examining loving relationships between man and woman, and the seventh chapter examines how to develop love in all of our other relationships. Chapter 8 and 9 explore two more deeply spiritual aspects of love, and that being compassion and love of God. In these challenging times, he states, that we require us uh, to fortify ourselves with spiritual knowledge, and even more important, we must put our knowledge into practice. And only then can we call ourselves spiritual warriors, capable of serving others. And as spiritual warriors, we must never forget that our greatest ally is love, and our most dangerous enemy is lust. We can be of genuine service only if we are free from selfish desires and available to become pure vessels, a vehicle for God's love. And may this book help you remember and master the seductive illusions of lust and become a spiritual warrior radiating divine love to all that you encounter. So please stay with me. I'm going to take another break, and we shall continue with Spiritual Warrior 2, Transforming love and Lust into Love.
again thank all of you for tuning in and sharing your Sunday evening, especially uh, the pre-Super uh, Bowl uh, uh, time of, of this Sunday evening to uh, share your time with me on the show. So, uh, again, I thank you. Uh, I will begin with uh, Chapter 1, which is dealing with sex and the leadership crises. As the 20th century draws to a close, the world faces innumerable challenges. Although technical advances have succeeded in making more inhabitants of this planet more comfortable, in general, people do not seem to be happier or more peaceful. Huge inequities continue to exist around the globe, and even among the affluent, material prosperity is no guarantee of fulfillment. The planet's ecosystems and are seriously out of balance. Wars and conflicts exact a tragic toll. And all around us, people are pursuing prestige and profit at almost any price. And what is the reason for such a state of affairs, he says? To find an answer, we must look beyond the surface of events and probe deeply into our own, into our own hearts. The ultimate cause is not a specific set of historical events, important though they may be, but our own thoughts, feelings, and desires. And I stop here by stating that from what I've humbly learned is that we tend to think that our thoughts are individual thoughts. But indeed, it has come to my understanding that our thoughts actually coincide with other thoughts that are shared by other people. And that dealing with this the law of, of attraction, we can recognize that some of us are very much aware of the fact that we attract those in our lives who share common interests. Uh, and we feel that, oh, yes, if that person shares this interest that I have, then indeed we are onto something here and we must be doing the right thing. And that's why people embrace certain religions. Uh, within the religions, they embrace certain mosques, certain churches, certain synagogues, uh, certain uh, entities and venues which uh, purport the practice of their religion. And thus, you have the backbiting, and you have the holier-than-thou syndrome, and so forth. And even those who say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, and they have the same type of uh, superiority complex or inferiority complex and this mode of separateness. However, as we recognize that our body is composed of anywhere from two to six trillion cells, that uh, they compose a one body, which is what we call our body. But they all individually have an interdependency upon one another. If one gets cancer, that is goes away, because we all have a certain amount of cancer cells within our body, but if you have a healthy diet and you eat correctly, then you have a healthy immunization system which has those cells, which are soldier cells, from my understanding, which attack the cells which are cancerous, and they get rid of them and, and devour them in whatever process from a microbiotic uh, level occurs, and you do not succumb to becoming uh, sick with cancer. The same thing applies to those of us who live in certain communities. Unless we are able to identify 
those individuals and those groups that have a cancerous uh, aspect to their particular lifestyle, their particular political outlook, and their uh, way in which they're influencing the uh, family, uh, the community as a whole, unless they're placed in check, the community will fall. And that's why those of us who live here in a country such as the United States, we have a constitution, we have certain laws, and we have certain checks and balances. And those of us who are politicians or who elect certain people to become leaders have to keep those who are leaders at a high standard. Now, the only way that they're able to be kept to a high standard is by us as individuals keeping ourselves to a high standard. Is what they call insanity when we keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So we're uh, now going through a primary season, uh, preparing ourselves for an election, and what are most of us doing who are voting for our so-called leaders? We're pointing at them, holding them at a high standard, that they shouldn't be doing this and should be doing that. And that, yes, oh, he cheated on his wife, you know, and, well, number one, he or she is married, and many of us who say, oh, they cheated on his or her wife are not married. So they don't even embrace the, the institution of marriage, which is about commitment. And we know that in certain societies throughout the, especially within the indigenous community, marriage is a very sacred entity. But it's not only just sacred, it just makes common sense. And I must repeat that. It just makes common sense. And what does that mean? It means that, yes, if a woman becomes pregnant, there is no doubt that she was impregnated by her husband. However, if you're not married and you're living in a society where there is no commitment to marriage and people are, are left to, yes, have sex randomly with multiple partners and whatnot, and when the woman becomes pregnant, unless she goes and has a DNA uh, uh, examination and uh, saliva swabs are taken, there's no way of ascertaining 100% who is the father. And if the man is not sure that he is the father, then he's not going to be committed to taking care of that child once he becomes incarnated into this life form again on this earth school. So that was understood and is understood by those from the indigenous community. So we have to get our act together as individuals, collectively, to understand the institution of marriage, especially those of us of African descent, whose ancestors were brought here some 400 years ago. It was unheard of that you would have a woman give birth to a child and that you did not know who the father was. And also, not only that, but if the woman became pregnant, that she was immediately married. You know, a marriage was arranged. And, of course, even beyond that, there is no intimacy unless one was married to each other. So I'm not saying that all those things have to come into place, you know, right away, but there has to be a redirection in terms of our consciousness, in terms of our awareness of why we have the problems that we have, why we cannot elect leaders in, in, in our communities who are going to be 
committed to uh, embracing a high standard of living. And not only the political leaders, but also the spiritual leaders, the ministers and so forth. You know, they're human beings just like we all, all of us are. But they have titles. But because they have titles doesn't mean that they're not going to fall. So we have to really come to grips. Number one, again, starting with ourselves, getting our life in order, getting our spirituality in order, you know, committing to living a life that is indeed embracing higher self as opposed to lower self. So he states that what is the reason for such a state of affairs? To find an answer, we must look beyond the surface of events and probe deeply into our own hearts. The ultimate cause is not a specific set of historical events, but important though these may be, but our own thoughts, feelings, and desires. As members of modern industrial culture, we can hardly keep from imbibing its messages, and consequently most of us have learned to view ourselves as physical beings who only go around once. I repeat that. Most of us have learned to view ourselves as physical beings who, quote, only go around once, unquote. And we accept the pursuit of sense gratification as normal. As a corollary, we have committed ourselves to indulge our many material appetites which we seek to satisfy by any number of means. Another way to describe our situation is to say that we have allowed lust rather than love to govern our lives. And despite our best intentions, this society makes it difficult to avoid living in this self-centered, competitive, exploitative way. Lust encourages us to continue our wanton exploitation of the Earth's resources in a never-ending cycle so that we can produce more, consume more, profit more, and want more. Lust makes us climb the ladder of success to the top without regard for the harm that we may cause along the way. And lust makes us indulge in sexual behavior that hurts and degrades others and ourselves. And to make a change for the better, we must learn how to transform our lust into love. The future of the world depends on it. He goes on to state that lust, sex, and leadership, nowhere is the need for this transformation of lust into love more apparent than amongst our leaders. And one of the greatest problems in the world today is the impotence of our leaders at all levels of society. And in general, they have made and have been unable or unwilling to conquer their lust. And in particular, they have not learned how to use sexual energies in a constructive way and so cannot master the self-serving attachments that stand in the way of more selfish spiritual expression of love. He goes on to state that as the 16th century French writer there once said, the masses are dorsal. They are susceptible to fads and trends, and they emulate those who lead them. And that is why the inadequacy of leaders poses such a serious problem. The entire planet 
follows in their footsteps. Our leaders are insufficiently equipped to confront the negative currents of prevalent that are so prevalent today, and they cannot summon intervention from higher spiritual levels to uplift the general consciousness of society because of their weaknesses. Everyone is increasingly in the mercy or at the mercy of demonic energies. So we only have about seven more minutes remaining, and I, I just uh, want to thank you again, and I want to thank my wife. And, honey, do you have anything that you'd like to share regarding uh, the book that we're reviewing and what I just well, shared? I'm really enjoying the book. I'd like to read it in its entirety. I haven't read it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have so many books in our library, right? I know. That we have uh, joined together with in ownership. And, and uh, yes, there's so many books that you have that I haven't read and and I'm so happy that I, I, I decided that the Spirit directed me to this book right. to review. Because you know, I think it's something that's uh, very important. And it says, the, uh, as Cole, Attorney Cole was stating in the, uh, in the forward, that uh, they have read the book about three times. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. And, and this is one of you hear that about certain books. Yeah, I have to read this over and over again. This, and, 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 and what she states is that, not only some books you might read and you get a aha moment, you know, or two from the whole book, and then some books you get the aha moment from a chapter, and then from a paragraph. But here, and she's not really being, she's not exaggerating as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. that you get aha moments almost at every line or every other third line. You know, so I'm so happy that I'm reading it and, uh, and sharing it with the listening audience. And again, I want to thank all of you who have uh, taken your time out to um, to tune in this evening. That uh, it's really appreciated, and I I like you to spread the word. And before I I, be, I would be remiss if I did not uh, mention the fact that my wife has a show uh, every Sunday, and uh, she has a workshop that she conducts every every uh, Saturday. And um, I'll let her just share with you uh, some of the things in which she's doing. For those of you who are in the New York City area, on Saturdays from 1 to 2 p.m., I conduct a workshop where we talk about natural remedies for diabetes. Very powerful information being disseminated. And you can contact me at my website, spiritchange.com, for more information. Thanks. You're welcome. Yes, uh, my wife is doing some very powerful work with regard to uh, uh, the issues of diabetes, and that's something that I think we all can relate to. Uh, I don't think any of us has someone within our immediate family who uh, does not uh, suffer from diabetes or uh, may have it and really not even know it. So uh, I encourage, uh, indeed, the name of my show is Grassroots Holistic Health, and I I try to share, at least I'm going to do it more that I have been as of lately, but share information regarding health issues and uh, natural remedies. My wife had uh, diabetes and did not know it for uh, a couple of years, and um, she was she's now recovered, just about fully recovered. And one of the ways that she was able to tackle this was by a natural, uh, holistic uh, modality of healing. And um, through uh, a spirit, we were able to meet a a naturopathic uh, doctor who was able to uh, steer her her in the right direction 
towards healing, and these are things that you will uh, learn about when you visit her her website. Uh, that's again www.spiritchanged.com. Uh, so I'm really excited, and also uh, I have a juice called uh, Fruta Vida, which is a, a juice from Brazil uh, that is made uh, from uh, acai, a berry that's found throughout Brazil, and uh, yerba mate, which is a uh, caffeine type of uh, uh, herb, and um, capucho, which is a fruit which also cleanses and is an antioxidant. So I encourage you to go to uh, my um, blog talk uh, page, and you will have links in terms of how to access uh, that juice. And I also have a, uh, a vitamin, a lipid vitamin, which uh, does me very well. Uh, those who may not uh, 14 marathons, New York marathons, and I'm 68 years of age, and I feel 40 years younger uh, most of the time by using these products. So, again, I thank you so much for tuning in, and please be sure to tune in next Sunday, and that will be at 7 o'clock. Uh, I made it earlier today, uh, this evening, because of the football game. So I end by saying that we give this evening to you, dear Lord. May our minds stay centered on the things of spirit good. May we not be tempted to stray from love, and as we begin this week, we open to receive you. Please enter where you already abide. May our minds and hearts be pure and true, and may we not deviate from the things of goodness. May we see the love and innocence in all mankind behind the masks we all wear and the illusions of this worldly plane. We surrender to you our doings this evening and this coming week. We ask only that they serve you in the healing of the world, and may we bring your love and goodness with us to give unto others wherever we go. I bid thee farewell. Ashe, assalamu alaikum. One love, peace, and blessings, all my relations. Thank you for tuning in.